the worship team for leading us before the throne of God. When the hard part is actually the easy part. When the part you think is going to be the hardest is actually the easiest part. This past week, I racked my brain trying to figure out the perfect example for this. And what I kept coming back to was childbirth. Now, as you know, at least hopefully you know this, I personally have not birthed a child. My wife has. (laughs) And I know quite a few other ladies who have. In talking to them, especially with their first children, um, most of them would say that uh, that that event, birthing the child, is something that they were very scared about. There was some fear and trepidation about it. The the pain, the discomfort, the effects on their body, how they were going to get this out to here to join us. They were not looking forward to it. Many of them thought this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, and they were probably right up to that point. But then the day after happened, and the next day, and the next day, and my guess is that with most of these moms, you came to them and asked them a year later, two years later, and they would tell you, look, the part that I thought was going to be the hardest part actually wasn't. That was the easy part. The hard part is raising this little person in all the trials and tribulations, the joys and everything that goes along with raising a kid. So the part that we thought was going to be the hardest, childbirth was actually the easiest. You know, in some ways, what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks and finishing up today kind of relates to that. I'll show you how in just a second. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we have been worshiping you this morning in many different ways. And we continue to worship as we come before you to hear from you through your word. I pray, Father, you would open our ears to allow us to hear what you want to say. I pray that we would know you better by the end of our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. That is a bright windshield right there. I just won't stand there. There we go. If you have not been with us the past couple of weeks, uh, we have been talking about everybody's favorite thing to talk about in church, money. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about becoming generous givers, and I told you five reasons why we should be generous givers. Generous giving allows us to see God as our provider. Generous giving allows us to build faith and trust. It allows us to develop a healthier heart. It helps us lead other people to praise, and ultimately, generous giving is a response to God's generous gift to us in Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the dreaded T word, tithing, and we spent just a little bit of time looking at the two sides of, uh, of the coin that people typically fall on when it comes to tithing, and then we spent the majority of our time looking at a text in Malachi chapter 3. Where ultimately I told you that tithing was all about relationship. Because in that text, God was telling his people, bring all of your tithes and offerings to the storehouse, to the church, so that the temple workers wouldn't have to go out into the fields and work, so that they could perform their temple duties, so that the people could come and experience God. Because that's how they experienced him, was there in the temple. So ultimately tithing was about relationship. Now, at the end of last week's sermon, I I pushed us to 
put this into practice, the relationship with God in a practical way through actual giving. And I said, like the graph shows, if you've never given for the first time, give for the first time. And if you were a first-time giver, become a regular giver. If you're a regular giver, move over to becoming a percentage giver, whether it's 1%, 2%, ultimately leading up to 10% and beyond. And if you are already a percentage giver, moving to becoming an extravagant giver. Now, becoming a generous giver and becoming an extravagant giver, these can both be a little bit, a little bit like childbirth. We can have great fear and trepidation. Carly's laughing because it's only a little bit like it. We can have great fear and trepidation about trusting God ultimately with our finances, about saying, this is all yours. But when we ultimately do surrender every area of our life, including our finances, to the lordship of Christ, we soon realize that tithing, that giving, is actually the easy part. Now, today we wrap up our series on money. Now, at the end of the service last week, I had somebody come up to me in the foyer, in the meeting area out there, and say to me, Pastor, are we really going to talk about tithing again next week? You said everything there was to say today. Well, bless their heart. I won't tell you who, but she's laughing. Um, Glad they got a lot out of last week. Everybody's looking to see who's laughing right now. Don't give yourself up, Jenny. Nobody will know it's you. (laughs) I told this person, I said, yes, next week we're going to look at what Jesus said about tithing. Because last week was Old Testament. This week, what Jesus said. Now, you can look throughout the Gospels, and you can find Jesus talks about money and possessions a lot. He says, where your heart is, there you, or where your, your money is, there your heart will be also, or maybe I've got that backwards. He, he says, don't worry about money. He says, give your money away. He talks about money and possessions a lot. But to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, Jesus only talks about tithing once. It's in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, same story. And in this story, Jesus is having a heated conversation, a very pointed conversation with the religious leaders, with the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's speaking very pointedly to them, in a way that would be very offensive, actually. He says to them, you guys do everything for show. And he looks at the people around who are hearing this interaction, and he says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. And he pokes at their arrogance. And then he goes on this uh, seven-time woe is you speech. The seven-time woe is you, I don't want to call it a conversation because Jesus is just hammering them. And it's halfway through. That woe is you, that Jesus speaks about tithing. Now, what what does woe is you mean? I know the kids are filling this kid's bulletin out. Woe is you is an expression of grief or of renunciation. It's, It's Jesus saying, what sorrow awaits you religious leaders? And in the middle of it, like I mentioned, he talks about tithing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24, reading first from the English Standard Version. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Oh, what a comment from Jesus. And did you catch what he was saying? 
And without saying it, Jesus essentially said this, hey guys, tithing's the easy part. The, the, the part you thought would be the hardest is actually the easiest. The rest of this religion thing, yes, keep giving, he says. Keep giving, but don't forget the things that mean quite a bit more. Hear it again, a different translation. Matthew 23, verse 23 and 24. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He talks about the tiniest income from their herb gardens. Tithing from mint, dill, and cumin. Now listen, Jesus was not critiquing the Pharisees for what they were doing. Because the Pharisees were not wrong in tithing from their window gardens. In fact, they were doing what God had told them to do. I've mentioned this verse the last two weeks. Again, Leviticus 27.30. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Mint, dill, and cumin were from the land. So they were tithing from it. Jesus was not critiquing that. I've got a window garden of sorts. I think I have a picture of it. Uh, Actually, let me clarify. Abby has a window garden of sorts. That little green thing on the right, not the smallest thing, but the next thing up, that is basil. Now, I have no idea what basil is, but Abby plucks a leaf on it, puts it in our salad, and it's amazing. It is fantastic. That's a, that's, a, that's a window garden. If I were to practice what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing in our text, I would end up bringing three of those leaves and putting it in an offering plate as it goes by. I probably should have done that today. The people in the back would have wondered, what's going on? Just three leaves. I counted. There's roughly 30. I just think I jest. That could be me showing my complete devotion to God, or it could also be me showing my complete adherence to the letter of the law. Now, Jesus, like I said, is not critiquing the fact that the religious leaders were taking that part of the tithing laws so seriously. What he's critiquing is the fact that they were not taking the other parts of the law just as seriously. One author puts it this way. He says, What Jesus objects to was the unbalanced piety, which sets great merit to the relatively insignificant rules, but misses the things that really matter. So you want to know what Jesus says about tithing? Do it. But don't forget to pay as much, if not more, attention to the weightier matters. The weightier matters. The Greek word there is barus. It literally means heavy or burdensome. It means oppressive. When I hear this, I picture me trying to get through the crowds at Hoop Fest yesterday with my rolling cooler. Okay, My arms hurt. There's 200,000 people with toes and babies with strollers. And it is just a burden to get it to the place I want to go. Of course, Sam's court is way downtown. JJ's court is up by the courthouse. And what a mess. Barus. Of course, I didn't think that word as I was pulling the cooler. (laughs) Heavy, weighty. Jesus is saying, do tithe, 
But don't forget to do the important things, the weighty things, the things that are going to cost you, the things that are going to hurt a bit, the things that are going to be hard. What were those things? Living lives full of justice, mercy, faith or faithfulness, and love. Love is added because in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, where Jesus also says this, he talks about the love of God. So justice, mercy, faithfulness, and love. Jesus is telling the, the, the religious leaders, hey guys, look, that religion thing I've called you to, yes, it involves some dill, some mint, some cumin, but even more so it involves you to live, to act, to teach, to demonstrate the character traits of God. When someone is wronged, like an orphan or a widow, God's calling you to make sure things are made right, even if that means some uncomfortable conversations and situations. That's justice. When somebody does something wrong and deserves to be punished, but God says, wait, not yet, not now, that's mercy. When someone has wronged you over and over and over again, and yet God calls you to still be there for them, that's faithfulness. Or when God calls you to trust him no matter what, that's faith. When God calls you to do any of these things, those are the hard things. Now, I want you to think for a minute, literally. I want you to pull up in your mind a situation from the past or, or maybe something you're going through now or potentially something you're stressing about, uh, something in your life that will force you to practice justice, will force you to have mercy, that will require faithfulness from you, that will necessitate love. Think, think of that situation, okay? You got it? I thought of one this morning. I'm not going to share it, okay? But you got that situation. Now, now think of the, the, the pain that may be involved in that. Think of the challenge in it, the heartache, the, the tears, the frustration, the heartbreak, the reverberating effects of that. If your stomach's not turning over a little bit, it should be, okay? So you got that pictured right there in your mind. Now, think of the offering plate going by. Isn't it so much easier just to drop a 20 in the plate as it goes by than to deal with Justice, mercy, love, faithfulness. Doesn't giving become the easy thing? All of a sudden, this following Jesus thing, this, this life lived like Christ, becomes way more challenging than we were anticipating. Friends, we can put on our Sunday best. We can come to church, we can smile at people, we can tell them we're doing good, we can stand, we can sing, we can sit, we can listen to somebody talking, we can put some money in the plate in the, as, as it passes by, we can have our bank automatically send a check to the church so we don't even have to put the money in. It's so easy, we can do all of that, and then we can get in our cars and treat our family like dirt as we drive home. Be easy to, to put a 20 in the plate and then be abusive emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally to somebody. In our text, Jesus is not passing off giving. He's not saying it's unnecessary. He's saying keep doing it, but make sure you do the harder things just as diligently, just as purposefully. Do those. Now, why in the world would Jesus look at the leaders of the religious establishment then and tell them to do that? That's quite the standard. Why would he say, you have to do this? Well, I would argue it's because he had seen his father doing that. He had seen God demonstrating this. And we can look at countless Old Testament texts that show God's justice, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's love. But there is one that sums it all up wonderfully. 
And it's in the minor prophet Hosea. If you're not familiar with that prophet, this is a a prophet that God says, hey, we're going to use an unfaithful spouse and use them as an example of Israel's relationship with me. Because Israel had cheated on God numerous times, over and over and over again. So through the prophet Hosea, God's calling them back. And God says this in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. He says, I will betroth you, Israel, to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God's saying, look, I demonstrated all this. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness, justice, steadfast love, mercy, faithfulness. There's the four weightier things that we're talking about this morning. So Jesus is able to look at the religious leaders and say, you guys need to do this because God has done it. And if you're training God's people in what God is like, then live like God has demonstrated to you. Besides that, they were the religious leaders, so they needed to act like that. So the question comes for us, for all of us, is Jesus calling us to that same thing? Is he calling us to the same standard? I realize not every single one of us in here is is a, a religious leader in the established church. So would he expect you guys to live the same way? I don't have to hesitate. Yes. Without a doubt. Yes. In the two different things he mentions in verse 23 in Matthew's gospel. First, money. Does he want you to give? Yes. If you don't believe me, go back, hop on our website, read the, or listen to the last two sermons. God wants us to give. In fact, giving is discipleship 101. When you start following Jesus, when you start ordering your entire life around Christ, your finances will be affected. So give. He's telling us that. Now, in the same breath, he's telling us just as clearly to do the weightier things. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, love. And I think when we do those, we're going to realize that those are the hard things. Those are the things that make giving seem easy. Now, why would Jesus expect this of us today? It's because he did that for us. He demonstrated every single one of these things for us, and he wants us to do the same to a watching world that doesn't know him yet. He's asking us to be his religious leaders so that people can see his mercy, justice, love, and faithfulness. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't done himself. In fact, let's look at him. We deserve God's justice. We deserve punishment for the ways we've walked away from God, but Jesus took that justice for us. Romans 3, verse 25 and 26. We're going to read this together, okay? For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sins in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, 
For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. We deserve the wrath of God, God's justice, but God put that on Jesus. So we deserve it, but we didn't get it. That's mercy, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Read it with me. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We deserve God's justice. Jesus got it. God gave us mercy because of Christ. God's demonstrating his faithfulness to us through Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. Again, read it with me. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. And we know that God demonstrated his great love for us. We can read together Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ is asking us, telling us, calling us to live the way that's talked about in Matthew 23, 23, because... He has already done that for us. And he wants the people out there who don't know him to be be able to experience him. All these things Jesus demonstrated for us while going to the cross. While going to the cross, Jesus essentially said, look, I choose the weighty things, the weightier things for you. This morning, we're going to remember that. We're going to take communion together. We're going to take bread, choosing to remember that in the bread, Christ's body was broken for us. That's that justice part. We're going to drink from the cup, which reminds us of Christ's shed blood, which also reminds us of the new covenant that God promised, which is full of mercy and faithfulness and love. And this morning, in just a couple of moments, we're going to have the ushers come forward, and they're going to pass out the elements. I would encourage you to hold on to them. Don't take them yet. We'll take them together at the end. Now, as they, are, as, as they are being passed out, as you're taking them, we're going to have verses on the screen rotating through that speak of the things we've been talking about this morning, that speak of the weighty things. Some of the things will be, um, they'll, they'll demonstrate God's faithfulness, God's love, God's mercy, God's justice. And some of the things, some of the verses will point to us and our actions, our responses to those things. Allow them, as you read them, allow God to speak to you through these verses. And if he pokes you, if he nudges you in one verse in particular, pay attention to it. Because perhaps he's asking you to to do something in response. Maybe he's asking you, is there a place in your life you need to demonstrate more justice or show more mercy or exhibit more faith or faithfulness? Or is there a place this week you can show the love of God? He might be asking you one of those things. You don't have to be a member with us to take communion. 
We just ask that you are actively seeking to follow Jesus. If you weren't actively seeking when you came in, maybe you're at that stage where you want to start that. And if you do, it's simple. You tell Jesus, look, I realize I can't do this on my own. I realize you've paid the price for me. Uh, forgive me of my sins. I want to I start walking with you. If you pray a prayer like that, come and grab me after and we'll, we'll celebrate with you. Let me have the ushers come forward and we will, uh, we will hand this out. And I'll, uh, I'll pray for it before it goes out. And then I'll probably pray for it again after. And Tim's going to play during.